welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and NHS Somerset Mental Health Lead. And we're really delighted to welcome today Rain Smith from Somerset Partnership Trust. Rain, tell us about yourself a bit, please. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Um, I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist. Um, I'm also a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy teacher, and I work in the Somerset uh, NHS Talking Therapies Service for Anxiety and Depression. That's great. And our title today is Deep Dive into the World of CBT, and you're going to be our guide through this. Correct. And I should mention that you're backed by popular demand. Your last <laughs> podcast, which is available, uh, was was uh, so well liked by people and they wanted to know more about CBT. So we thought we'd uh, have a uh, a podcast just on that. So looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So could I just ask the first question, what is CBT and why should we know about it? Yeah, well, I, I gave a bit of a, a breakdown in the Talking Therapies podcast uh, a few months back. Um, talking about how it's about the way our our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors all interact. And uh, when we are struggling with a problem like depression or anxiety, um, sometimes our thoughts um, can get a bit focused on um, the negative or the, the, the anxious side of things, which leads us to feel a certain way, low or anxious. Um, and then as a consequence, we might start to behave in a certain way. So avoiding things that we once used to enjoy um, and never really giving ourselves the, the opportunity to, to overcome the, the difficulty itself. But um, it's really so much more than that. Um, it's a whole school of psychotherapy developed in the, 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 the 50s. Um, but actually, it dates back a lot further than that. I mean, if you really look back, you can see the, the sort of reverberations of CBT um, in uh, Greek uh, philosophy. So um, there's, a, there's a, a philosopher called Epictetus who actually sums up CBT perfectly, um, which is this, uh, men are not moved by things, but by the views they take of them. So essentially, it's not about what happens to you so much, it's about what you make of it that can uh, affect how you react. So CBT aims to kind of take that theory a bit further and target your, your, your interpretations, what you make of things um, to try and help people feel better. That's lovely. And I, I love how everything goes back to ancient Greek philosophers. When I was researching the podcast we did on happiness, uh, basically the Greeks had said it all two and a half thousand years uh, yeah. ago. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't think CBT is actually anything new. Um, I think the word there we used was eudaimonia, wasn't it, Peter? But I can't think what the CBT word would be in Greek, but I'm sure Epictetus meant women as well as men. I, th I think I'm sure course, he was. Yeah. Although uh, it was a fairly male-dominated society in ancient Greeks that uh, that ran on slavery as well, but we won't, we won't go there on that. Yeah, well, um, the, the the beginnings of CBT it, it was primarily a treatment for women, and um, actually we still see mainly women um, coming through our service. So um, it'd be nice to see a few a few more men actually. So Raina, I think a lot of people when I talk to them about uh, talking therapists and counselling, they think it's all very wishy washy, but actually CBT is evidence based, isn't it? It's been shown to be more effective than antidepressant pills. Do you want to? Tell us a bit about that. 
Yes, um, it's it's a very evidence-based therapy. Um, kind of offshooting from the behavioral therapies in the in the um in the sort of 60s where there was a very uh, uh well f- actually before that 30s to 60s a huge emphasis on research and using that research to then drive the therapy itself and what we do in therapy um so it's um it, and not only that but we try to use a very empirical sort of experimenter approach in the therapy itself as therapist and patient to try and test things out um but yes you you you're right it's it's very effective um i think a recent meta analysis of of over 50,000 patients um and looking at uh, over 500 of the, the the most kind of high medium to high quality studies because um, there there are some low quality studies as well showed CBT to be as effective as um, antidepressant medication, particularly in the short term. But it seemed to be more effective in the long term, which is something quite interesting. So it helps people to get better and also may keep them well too. And antidepressants have come under a bit of a cloud recently where it's thought they might damp down emotions, whereas CBT isn't about just keeping it masked. It's about trying to uncover the underlying roots and trying to get people to think in a different way, isn't it? I I call it physiotherapy for the brain. I don't know what you think of that analogy. Yeah, well, I love that analogy um, because it does really highlight what CBT is about. Um, while it comes under the talking therapies service, really at its heart, it's a doing therapy. We, we try to um, make changes and do things differently. Um, particularly with our thoughts, but also our behaviours as well. So it's um, actually a, a very good description of, of what CBT involves. I'm glad you've mentioned that, um, Rain. Um, I work for NHS Practitioner Health as well and carry a caseload of, of health professionals and doctors who need help. Um, and um, certainly one of the one of our mainstays of, of support and therapy is CBT. And I find myself recommending it to people in need, but I also find myself recommending it very widely as as CPD, as continual professional development. And am I out of line there? Because I'm recommending it in a way, yes, as a therapy when needed, but not as a therapy when not necessarily needed, but as a skill set that perhaps many of us would benefit from knowing. Am I am I out of out of touch with what it should be used for there? No, I think you're completely in touch. And it's um one of the benefits of the therapy itself is a very common sense approach um, and it's it's not really wishy-washy at all. Um, so a lot of the strategies um, throughout my CBT training and still today, and in fact today, um, I still use some of the, the strategies and, and methods that we, we, we teach to our patients um, and that helps me in my day-to-day life um, and, and also kind of, I guess, in a way deepens my understanding of the way these things work so that I can hopefully um, pass that on to others as well. And you mentioned mindfulness in your introduction. Is that is that part of CBT or is that a, a different way of approaching things? Well, um, CBT is going, undergoing a bit of a, a, a sort of transformation um, and they, they kind of refer to this in waves. So you've got the first wave, um, which is the sort of behavioral therapies. The second wave is CBT. Um, and then the third wave is a sort of blend of CBT and various other strategies. So um, technically, no, mindfulness is not a part of CBT, um, but it's becoming more a part of 
the the sort of wider therapeutic um, options that people have. And um, it's been blended with a cognitive therapy group approach, which has become mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, um, which is a relapse prevention program for people, particularly with recurrent depression, but it can be other things as well. Um, so while I wouldn't be doing mindfulness in a, in a typical CBT uh, treatment, um, it is something that you can do in various other versions of it. And can you take us through what a typical treatment is? Is it how many sessions? Is it face-to-face? Uh, how long is each session? What Do people have to go away and do stuff themselves in between? What, what What's the process? Yeah, well, um, it's, it, it does vary, the, the number of sessions. Um, some people will need less, some people need more. Um, I think on average, uh, I tend to have around uh, between eight and, and, and 10 sessions, depending on the need. Um, but sometimes it can be, be a lot longer. Sometimes it can be a lot shorter. Um, generally, um, the, the, the sessions themselves are around 50 minutes to an hour. Um, and there is a, a huge emphasis on what, what I call bringing the therapy alive between sessions. So um, there, are, there are all kinds of numbers thrown around, but Generally, the the idea is that you're not going to remember a huge amount from a therapy session. Um, between ten and twenty percent is 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 the kind of the, the number thrown around. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But um, the idea is that just the sessions on them on their own um, may not be enough. And um, it's the it's the the tasks that the therapist and the patient agree between sessions that can really um, help them to well make changes in their lives. Um, learn new things um, and recover and stay well as well. And I think that's where that comes in. Can you give us some examples of that? Because I, I think some people might be a bit worried by the thought that they've got to undertake tasks and do homework. <laughs> and so. Yeah, homework. Oh, yeah. Um, well, um, m- maybe I would invite listeners and, and you guys just to, to notice your reaction to the idea of homework. Um, noticing what happened when we brought up the idea and then what you felt in your body, in your emotions, and maybe any thoughts you had about it. Now, I'm sure for, for well, maybe you can tell us uh, what, what came up for you, Peter or Andrew. Well, I, I, the listeners can't see it, but you, you saw the grimace on my face. I think it <laughs> I takes indeed, us back yeah. to uh, school days, doesn't it? And uh, yes, all of those things. So it links in with all of those emotions. What about you, Andrew? Um, I think that homework made me feel slightly uncomfortable, but then I, as an appraiser, I would look on it as, you know, it's, it's CPD and um, let's put a positive spin on it and uh, see how we can, <laughs> how we can enjoy it. I'll, I'll come Andrew. back to the sources uh, later, but uh, that, so those were, so both of us have had feelings and thoughts about it, Rain. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, you'd definitely fit well in a CBT world. Um, you, 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 um, actually challenged your 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 thought there based on your emotion. You had an uncomfortable emotion, um, probably linked to some uncomfortable thoughts as well about your past experiences of homework. And then you challenged that by saying, well, this is CPD. This is going to help me in the long run. Um, and that's exactly how we would approach homework or in-between session tasks um, in CBT. Not only that, um, I think another... Um, amazing feature of CBT is that it's very collaborative. This is not a therapist just telling you what's what or telling you what to do. This is a patient and a therapist working together to 
find out what is going to be the most helpful thing to do between the sessions. So hopefully it's quite motivating in that respect. Um, but also it's about figuring out together how the world really works and how you really work as well. Um, so if you take the example of someone with um, a, a, a particularly nasty phobia, let's say of dogs, um, and their, their belief is that if I you know, go come across dogs, I'm likely to get bit. Well, um, we wouldn't just talk about that. We would say, hey, got some time, got 50 minutes. Why don't we, there's a park down the road, why don't we take a walk down there and see what happens? Let's notice your thoughts, notice your feelings, um, and then maybe we can try and test things out if you're comfortable. <laughs> if not, let's go back to the drawing board and find out what we can do to get you there. So am I right in thinking you're talking about recognizing your own emotions to things, trying to reframe them, and then doing practical things to change those negative emotions? Is that, is that the basis of it? Exactly. You can't deal with it unless you feel it. Um, I think that's a, a phrase that's kind of stuck with me. Um, and and so um, part of the, the process of trying to overcome particularly anxiety problems, but this works for depression as well, might be actually through some form of exposure. Probably a lot of you have probably heard of exposure therapy, which is actually one of the tools that we use within CBT as well. Um, but if we're going to kind of go down a very CBT approach here, we, would, we wouldn't just do that. We, we would look at how one might learn to um, test out their beliefs in the real world, um, saving the therapist from just saying, well, that's ridiculous. A dog is very unlikely to bite you. Um, it helps you to do that for yourself and then hopefully continue to do that for yourself. So in a way, you can become your own therapist rather than having to rely on, on us. So rather than soothing somebody and winding down their anxiety by just helping them calm, you're giving people the tool of being able to reflect in a detached way when they feel safe. Is, is that something that's happening as an overview of the process with a number of skill sets to help that reflection uh, and to tease out what's going on between thoughts and feelings? Yeah, Um there's a there's a tricky balance as a therapist because you you don't want to push things too far to the point where someone's so anxious they cannot learn anything, um, but also we, we we've got to be challenging our thoughts as well. But I would say that's always um, the it's always the patient that is 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 leading that process, um, and very rarely the the, the therapist. Um, Although I have had a few situations when working with people, particularly with OCD, who have a fear of uh, contamination, so getting germs on them. Um, I've stuck my hand down many a toilet with them, and um, we've, we've then picked, picked that experience apart together and, and, and learned from it. Um, and luckily, I've, I've never actually gotten ill from that. <laughs> yeah, that, that wouldn't be a good therapeutic move, would it? <laughs> Don't shake my hand, David. Uh, sorry, Peter, Andrew. Don't sh don't shake my hand. Uh, for phobias, I was taught the the ways you do this exposure is either by introducing it very very gradually below the threshold at which somebody gets anxious, or doing the opposite and just flooding them um, with what it whatever it is they fear, and they realise that they don't die and uh, and get over it that way. Is is that a similar approach, or is that an old fashioned way of of dealing with things? <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, 
things have moved on a little bit in terms of the exposure therapy research. Um, now, uh, I, I tend to give my patients the option. Some some want to just go for it, and um, many find that actually very helpful. Um, others want to take a more graded graded approach. Um, but actually, what we've come to realize is that you don't necessarily need to um, go kind of um, you know, whole hog on it. Um, as long as you are helping that person to really test out their belief, then theoretically, um, the the exposure session um, is well is considered a, a success. Whereas in in the past, generally, it's considered that that patient has to stay in the situation for at least ninety minutes, and they they have to be experiencing an incredibly high level of anxiety. We're beginning to realize that that may not necessarily need to happen. And what you're saying makes me think of what about in popular culture, where um, if you have a car crash, you go back behind the wheel to stop anxiety setting. It is is that preemptive CBT? Is that is that actually valid, or is is that just a, a myth? Um, I, I would say, on the whole, it's probably um, not a bad thing to do. Um, I guess what, what what we might be talking about here is potential post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and what we know about that is, uh, although it's actually a very interesting um, d- diagnosis in, in the sense that it's considered an anxiety disorder because of the symptoms people might experience. They might have flashbacks of the situation itself, um, feeling very hypervigilant, so looking out for, for, for danger. Um, and then often doing certain things to cope. And one of the things people typically do to cope with traumatic events is avoid the situation, um, which inevitably leads to, well, maybe less distress in the short term because they can manage their their flashbacks. But in the long term, they probably end up suffering more. So um, the reason why I say it's an interesting anxiety problem, because generally anxiety problems are all about some sort of threat in the future. So the cognitive kind of constellation, I guess, or the cognitive theme, the thoughts theme that we'd be working with is all about, well, what are you worried about? What is this threat that you are perceiving in the future? Whereas PTSD, the threat has passed. The traumatic event is over. But um, what we think is happening is that people are experiencing that threat in the here and now. So they experience as a current threat rather than, and as something that is still kind of going on rather than something that is over. So yes, Getting behind the wheel would be a good thing to do, but um, I'd say you may need a therapist to help you with that. Very interesting. And what you were saying about PTSD made me think of uh, the fact that we have our frontal cortices or our prefrontal cortices, which can imagine the future, can reflect on the present and remember the past. But we've also got the limbic system, which fires off into strong emotions at times. and, And perhaps... Some of the memories we have, and this may come in in PTSD, is where there has been a a very strong emotion that gets attached to a thought uh, at the time, and this never really gets closure. It doesn't get resolved, so we're stuck in fear or in shame or distress or or, or upset or terror. And that unresolved thought... um, means that reflection on the issue has ceased and it's it's sort of stuck in our baggage pile is that a bit is that a bit naff that uh, that 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 suggestion no um i i think it's quite quite a good way of putting it um often the the work we do in 
the trauma-focused CBT that we might do, or even EMDR, which is the, the other trauma-focused approach we have, um, we would um, try and help people to become unstuck from these, these difficult memories. Um, and we do that in certain ways, usually by, by approaching the, the threat or approaching the memory itself in a, in a very helpful um, and supported way. Um, and then by doing that, um, often people can uh, basically start to formulate a new and helpful way of looking at what has happened. Um, so generally, the, the kind of thoughts might be something along the lines of, um, well, that's it since the trauma. My life is over. It's never going to be the same again. Um, and then by by going through a, a specific process and a very uh, an empirically based process of dealing with that trauma, people can then get to the point where they are able to move on from it and develop a new story for themselves that actually look what I overcome and hopefully I'm a pretty amazing person for overcoming that. And you mentioned EMDR just to unpack that for people who aren't familiar with it. That's that's rather spooky thing where you do your finger from left to right in in a strange way that somehow helps. But can I ask you to to give us maybe a, a specific example. So you mentioned about dogs and that's easy because mm. there are lots of dogs around, but lots of people get very anxious about more nebulous things like global warming or or death or things that, that it's harder to give that exposure to. Maybe we can even role play it. We had a um, somebody on our last podcast who said they just couldn't stop thinking about death. And I can, I can relate to that. So I'm very happy to, to role play the patient if you want to do that. If I come to you and say, how do you get my mind from going round in these loops that are unhelpful? Yeah, well, um, Peter, that, that's a fantastic idea. Um, is it okay to call you Peter or do you want to be yeah, absolutely. called something else? Yeah, okay. No, no, that's fine. Um, so, Peter, we've kind of talked a little bit about what CBT involves. Um, we want to try and figure out what's happening for you in your inner world, what's running through your mind. Um, we also want to try and help you to figure out what keeps the problem going, despite your best efforts, I'm sure, um, to try and address the problem. And if you want to, we will have some time to discuss why it's no wonder you might be struggling with this today. So perhaps some past experiences that could have led to this point. Um, maybe you can give me an idea of uh, what it is that runs through your mind um, when you are struggling with these uh, experiences related to death. And I think it's really feeling that that takes away the enjoyment of the moment because you've always got this thing hanging over you that you know it will come to an end at some point in the near uh -huh. or distant future. And and Peter, um, that sounds really tough. I'm just wondering... When you when you have those really difficult thoughts, what do you do? Do you do you notice yourself, yourself trying to do anything about them? They're definitely worse when you're in bed at two o'clock in the morning and you can't do anything. Yeah. So being physically active is definitely a good way of of pushing those thoughts to one side. I think. Okay, so so being physically active helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. But what what about when you are laying in bed? And the thoughts just won't go away. How do you try to deal with them then? I suppose you try and replace them with other thoughts, don't you? Whatever, oh, whatever that is. Is that is that the best strategy? Well, I, I wonder if we can figure this out together. Um, so I have a bit of a, a, an idea. Why don't we have a, um, a sort of hypothetical experiment? So, Peter, I propose to you that you can think of anything you want 
absolutely anything, but you are not allowed to think of pink elephants. Okay, think of anything you like, but do not think of pink elephants. In fact, don't even think about the color pink. Do not think about anything related to elephants, trunks or big ears or anything like that. I recognize this. I'm thinking about a pink elephant, aren't I? <laughs> and um, what, what, what do you think happens the more you try to not think about pink elephants or think about something else? You can't not think about something, can you? The, the more you mm. try and force yourself to not think about something, the more you find yourself thinking about it and trying yeah. to sort of push it away. But it it's always there. So it's that, yeah. trying not to think about something is is a terrible strategy, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, that sounds like some really important learning there, Peter, that trying not to think about your worries about death is probably not helping. In fact, it might be making your worries about death a bit more frequent and a bit more intense something we call the rebound effect in, in psychological research, that the more we try to push a thought out, the more frequent and intense it can become. So how do we not think about a pink elephant? We, you're not suggesting that we think about pink elephants and that will somehow do the opposite, are you? Well, so I, I think not we... Not thinking about it makes it worse and thinking about it makes it worse. What's what's the other option? Well, we, we might actually um, uh, come to that. But I wonder just for now, if you can record your, your worries. So somewhere in between. So not quite dwelling on them, but also not quite ignoring them. Doing something in between, a little uh, homework task or a way we can bring this part of the session that we've had alive in your life. Keeping a little notebook by your, by your bed um, and, and maybe writing down these thoughts. Um, and what you might notice is that there are, there are more thoughts that come. Um, but also try and notice the pauses in between your thoughts um, and see what happens. I'd be interested to to see that in the next session. Right. Well, I'm I'm skeptical, but I'll give it a try, Rain, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Please be skeptical. That's what we're all about. <laughs> uh, thank you, listeners, for indulging us in that role play, which, which may or may not have had some elements of reality mixed in with it as well. But I'll, I'll leave that for people to speculate. So thank I've you, Rain. That was interesting. It, it was fascinating to to observe that. I've got a question, Rain, which is, um, you're a very you've got a lovely voice. You're I, I feel very calm and relaxed in your presence. How much of this is the therapist, and how much of this is the therapy? And is can you learn the skills of CBT online, uh, uh, or do we always need to see a therapist, and a good one like yourself? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I would say you don't always need to see a therapist. Um, in fact, a lot of these, like I say, um, CBT is quite a common sense approach. A lot of these things are quite commonsensical, I guess, if that's even a word. Um, so you can do this by yourself. There are plenty of self-help books. I recommend the Overcoming series. So Overcoming uh, Worry, Overcoming Depression, and so on. Um, and they're generally very CBT-based. But you can also uh, go to the Somerset Talking Therapies website and you can um, basically join our direct to digital program. So what that means is you can go straight into digital CBT. So doing that on your own, but you'll have a practitioner checking in with you. Um, and then come the end of that, if you feel like you need more, if you want to see someone face to face or, or via video link online, you can then come through for that. And I suppose following on from the point Andrew made, how much of your CBT is personalised and how much it, is it 
this is a, a stop thing that we do. You know, do you tell everybody to to get out a diary and write in it, for instance, or does it depend on the person? Yeah, I, I think it depends on 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 the patient really and what they're what they want. But um, in in my experience, CBT works best when we are working together as a team. So as you and I were there, Peter, and um, you know, there was a bit of bit of humour in the way we were talking to each other. There was a playfulness. Um, there was a willingness to to maybe try something in the session, which is really important when it comes to CBT. Um, but fundamentally, it's it's you and me working as a team to figure out how the world really works and how you really work within it. Um, and then by the end of it, hopefully you you have a, a a better idea of what you can do to help yourself to feel better. Of course, there are stock things that we would do, um, and there are interventions that we can we can include in that most therapists will will do and know about. Um, but really, it's about ther- therapist and patient making that idiosyncratic to them, making it mean something. And that's what this is all about, meaning. Absolutely fantastic. And I know from looking at your figures and the, the figures of your team, you have really good success rates in Somerset. And it's a, a national program. So we should say to everybody, shouldn't we, that if they want to access talking therapies and CBT, that can be done in most areas directly by going to the local talking therapies, um, but also through the GPs. Do you want to add anything to that, Andrew, in terms of accessing therapy? Um, no, I think there's been a great summary, except to say that I recommend it as, as CPD. And uh, I'm sure, um, Rain, there are various websites that uh, you can recommend. One that I've come across um, that we use in practitioner health sometimes is the Centre for Clinical Interventions, which is uh, a Western Australian um, website. Uh, and it's looking after yourself. And there are self-help resources um, for various mental health problems. And, and they're pretty well CBT aligned. So that's the CCI. Um, we'll put it in the in the chat, but in the in the notes, but it's cci.health.wa.gov.au, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, David, I'll pass that to you to put in the um, in the program notes, if I may. And Rain, do you want to tell us about how we contact your service? What are the different ways of doing that? Because I'm sure there'll be a flood of people contacting you or wanting to, to know more about pink elephants. <laughs> well, um, you can come find out uh, about pink elephants and and CBT and the the other therapy op- options we have in the Somerset NHS Talking Therapy Service uh, for anxiety and depression. Um, our website is www.somersetft. So that's foxtrot tango dot nhs dot uk forward slash Somerset hyphen talking hyphen therapies. Um, if you're not comfortable with the internet, you can always call us on 0300 323 0033 and request a self-referral form. And if neither of those options suit you, please do speak to your GP. They can also refer you in and um, any um, healthcare professional should be able to do the same. Thank you so much. And the book that you mentioned is Overcoming Worry and Generalised Anxiety Disorder, a self-help guide using cognitive behavioural therapies, uh, techniques uh, by Mark Freeston. So that's yes. a book too. There, there are others as well. Um, we, we work with typically seven anxiety disorders um, and, and, and depression as well. So um, there, there, there is pretty much one for all of them, I think. Uh, so keep, a, keep an eye out for them. 
Well, I really feel we've had a great deep dive into the world of CBT and we've we've found jungle animals as well. So thank you very much <laughs> indeed. Thank you so much, Rain. And thank you, Peter, for being a... Were you a, a guinea pig or a guinea elephant? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I got confused between dogs, guinea pigs, elephants. But as you say, playfulness is important, Rain. Yeah, you can tell my, my CBT tends to feature many animals. So um, any patients listening to this, uh, they'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Rain. I'm delighted uh, that, that we acceded to the popular demand to have you back. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. All the best till next time. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.